0: Hi, everybody and welcome back to the all the world podcast my name is cedric i am an actor a filmmaker and the host of this podcast and i am here with sydney lawson who is a very gifted cinematographer out of Ohio. She has worked on some short films that she's very, very excited about. She's attended the ASC conference, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of that and what she's experienced there. She did a really cool music video this year. She is up and coming. She has worked with some really cool stuff, and I just think she's a neat human. So you're going to listen to her talk, and it's going to be dope. Sydney, say hi.
1: Hello. Happy to be here.
0: I'm glad to have you. Uh, Let's just start with, with this. Why cinematography? What got you into this world of of working with cameras and and shots?
1: Well, I grew up always loving my parents' VHS video camera and I loved getting to see what that could do. I always made my friends and my sisters act for me in the projects that we were doing. So I had this love and then I didn't realize until college actually that this is something you could make a career out of if you're Not in Hollywood or LA, you could still do it. So then I fell in love with just the concept of filmmaking and realized that's what I wanted to study and pursue. And then I had a job on campus as a videographer, and that's where I actually got to work with DSLR cameras. I'd never experienced those before, couldn't afford them. I got to use interchangeable lenses, and I fell in love with the possibility of what the camera could do. Uh, I think I used a nifty fifty a fifty millimeter lens there, and I was able to open up the aperture and get a blurry background and I was like wow i've never I've never experienced that before and then um I also had i was studying film theory so so kind of the why to cinema and the and the meaning behind it, and so I really loved the concept that you could open the aperture or change the shutter speed or do anything to the camera angle to make the viewers feel something differently. And I just become obsessed with the fact that what you do with the camera determines how how it feels. Um, and I'm also a very sensitive and emotional person. So I love just like creating feeling <laughs> for the viewer and being able to, to have that experience. Um, I also like am not a person who likes to be in front of the camera. So I love to be behind the camera and I like to figure things out technically a little bit. So I think that's why, why the camera industry and the camera side of things for me. So
0: that's really interesting because you said that like DSLR was discovered in college for you, but then I see you messing around with like Ari Alexa's and cannons, which if you don't study camera bands because you're just listening to this and you're like, what is that? Those are really, really nice cameras. Those are like Avengers movie stuff. Uh, what? How do you go from working with the DSLR and going, oh, I can open the aperture to then, you know, just a few years later, you're, you know, tossing around ARRI Xs. I mean, what was that? It's clear to me that you have a natural gift for it because you don't just use an Ari Alexa if you don't know what you're doing. How did that transformation occur?
1: Yeah, that is all relationship building. Um, I went to, so there's a rental company in Columbus called Ohio HD, and they have a gear show every year. Um, I went to their gear show one year, and there's there's definitely a barrier to access for people who don't, aren't really connected in the industry and don't really know how to use that equipment. But they were super welcoming, and they were like, you know, come in any learn the gear, you can rent something. I mean, they've really helped me out to get to know those things. I think there's definitely an intimidation factor when it comes to working with higher-end gear, but at the end of the day, all of the things on those cameras apply to a DSLR, it's the same. You have a lens, you have aperture, you have shutter speed, ISO, all those things are still there. Um, So I think you definitely wanna learn on a DSLR and on those types of cameras, but it all applies. So through uh, just kind of renting and going in and testing their gear, I've really gotten to know a lot of things um, in the camera world. That I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do, so I have to, I have them to thank for a lot of that. Um, I had a job, my my I have had two jobs out of college, and those have been more for like the corporate marketing world. Um, and in those, I've gotten to use you know more than consumer cameras. The first one was a C100 camera in the Canon series, and then now with my current job, we're using Blackmagic Pocket Cinema cameras. So those are a good one to learn on as well, and to have those and be able to shoot on those anytime I want is really nice to learn. Um, but it all it's all the same stuff when you get down to the bare bones of it, um, and it's not about the highest-end camera. It's about what you're doing with the camera and the lighting and the camera movement to kind of shape it. So, I mean, I, I still is- am not super comfortable with those high-end cameras, but it, it comes from from doing the things with the lower end cameras and, and making the story from that.
0: Yeah. That is exactly what I was about to ask you is, is do you feel like, and you already answered it and you said what I would have expected you to say it, it, that it's not about getting an Ari Alexa. I mean, and those are nice if you, if someone's like, Oh, I'll let you borrow my Ari Alexa. Uh, yeah. You feel <laughs> free to take it. But um, you know, I have a Canon 4,000 D it's a oh, cheap uh... plastic body. Like, DSLR. It's like the lowest of the low. Um, but if I'm focusing on my lighting and on my audio and on how I'm framing things and if I'm, you know, I was gifted an 85 millimeter lens, uh, which is dope. Uh, so if I'm switching to that and I can get a nice bokeh if I want that, or I can adjust the way the lighting looks, well, that's, you know, obviously there is a difference in the amount of money that you spend on a camera. If, you know, there is going to be a difference in that sharpness and that quality. But how much more does focusing on the lighting and the lens and the framing that you're using. I mean, that's that's such a massive difference. And that to me is if you don't know that stuff, then it doesn't matter if you have, you know, the the newest Canon camera. Um, if you don't understand the the real basics. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, and understanding, I think, a lot of it is just in the color grading process. You can really do a lot with how you shape it in post-production.
0: Your work, just you know, just off your demo reel, your work has such an interesting color palette. It seems like color to you, even in camera, before you get to color correcting it, I feel like color, and this probably comes from your background in theory, is really important to the way that you shoot things
1: yeah um yeah, I try and do the teal orange type of grade and really work with trying to get feelings. and it depends on each each shoot that we do and what the director wants. But I think it's really important to focus on not just the color but how you're shaping the contrast and the shadows and where you're putting the highlights, which is something that you can learn on a DSLR.
0: Yeah, and you just touched on – you mentioned teal and orange, which if you don't know and you're listening to this and you're like, what do those colors mean? Watch pretty much any action movie from like 2000 to now, and they pretty much are teal and orange. That's just what they are. Most – a lot of movies are, but especially action and some drama – Uh, That's like the color palette that they really go with. But also when you were at the ASC convention, you talked with and I'm drawing a blank on his name, uh, but you you talked with Wes Anderson's usual DP and Wes Anderson. I love him a lot. I love his work. Uh and what was that conversation like and what did you learn from that? Because if you're talking about a director that uses color, I don't know if I can think of any that are more specific and weird with their color than Wes Anderson.
1: Yeah. Um what was that like? It was a lot of me sweating and freaking out and being nervous. <laughs> um it was also like a class with all dudes and I was just so intimidated because I'm like this one chick among all of them who has the audacity to want to say hi to his name was Robert (laughs) Yemen. Yes. Yeah. And so it was very nerve wracking. um, But it was very like, what's the word? I don't know. It was the most surreal experience I've ever had because he took us through a lot of, he talked about the way that he lit things and shot scenes, but he also took us through the way that he did it in a studio setting, which was really cool. And he's not using anything super fancy. It's all the techniques that we know and that we have. And a lot of it is like, he it's kind of just breaking down to bare bones almost. One thing that really stood out to me from that experience was that he showed us how there was a scene in Grand Budapest Hotel with Jeff Goldblum where he's sitting in like a bar, I think, and they have practicals in the background. And then they didn't use any studio lights to light that. They just had a bunch of candles which a production thing is to have three-wick candles so that it's a it's a brighter light. So they had a bunch of three-wick candles in the foreground, and then they had a bunch more off-frame. And then he just took um, tin foil, aluminum foil, and wrapped it around those candles, and it, the bounce from that light was all that was lighting Jeff Goldblum's face, and he even recreated that scene for us. So it's all about just the way that you're using the resources that you have. Um, and a lot of, like... Wes Anderson is obviously very talented with the way he moves the camera. Um, so it's all that. And then working with the production designer, I think, was a key takeaway I, I got from his talk. Because all of that was the, the, um, the colors of the outfits and everything on set and how it shows up on camera. Which is a really important conversation you want to have with your crew and your production designer as well.
0: Uh, right. Cause costume and the way that the costume, you know, maybe it is complementary to the set or maybe it's monochromatic to the set. Maybe it's the same color. Maybe it's within the color scheme. Maybe it directly contradicts the color scheme, but then the colors that you're pulling into the camera that you're kind of focusing on, that's a whole other area. So you're right. Walking hand in hand with a production designer and figuring out with the director, well, what mood are we going for? You know, do you, are you sure you want her wearing red? Cause the scene's very green and that means a particular thing, you know, it, that's, that's a really, really important conversation. And I, Honestly, yes. Wes Anderson, the way he moves the camera is amazing, but just the color palettes of watching his films. If you have not seen a Wes Anderson film and you're listening to this, watch it and you might hate it. Uh, I feel like they are very eclectic and it's something you either really like or you don't. I love it. Um, but I guarantee you'll learn something. So I can't imagine what that conversation must have been like because those films are so brilliantly shot. Um, walk me through, you know, you get the script. Um, let's say someone hires you and they want you to shoot their film uh, and you get the script. What? What's your process? What do you do? You get the script. What happens?
1: Yeah. uh, First, I want to read through it at least a couple times, not from the cinematography lens, just from the lens of a viewer and really get to know the story. Um, And then I want to start to think a little bit more about how we want to film it. But before I really dive into that, I want to have a conversation with the director because they have the vision and I'm here to support that. And kind of bring suggestions suggestions to that process. So I really, before I start to dive into my own headspace of how I want it to look, I really want to talk to the director because they might have something totally different in mind. I want to have an idea for how how I think it feels, but I really want to have that conversation first. And then from there, they'll give me a lot of what they want the mood to be and how they want it to feel. I've worked with people who are, so I shot a short film this summer with Donovan Edwards. He's super talented coming out of Columbus. We shot a short film called Lavender Boy, and he comes from a filmmaking background. So he has a really uh, robust vision for how he wants it to look. And even the camera style and the shot style, he wanted to do a handheld documentary feel. Um, And that was a really neat process because he knew so much of what he wanted his vision to be. So I really got to work with him to be like, okay, well, what if we, what if we did still for this scene so that it feels this way and then documentary and the interview process because it's more immediate. So all that is to say that with that experience, our process was very much me working with him to facilitate his really strong vision. For other people, they're not as they're more of the actor side and they're more the writing side and they don't as much know like that they want it to feel this certain way with the lenses. So I'll bring more suggestions in those processes, and then from there we will. Uh, the, the director usually comes up with the storyboard and, and those types of things, the shot list. And I'll bring some references. Some we I really want to have still frames as references so that we can both be on the same page. There's this um, website called Shot Deck, which...
0: I love Shot Deck. I spend yes, so much time on
1: Shot Deck. It's my Bible. Uh, definitely, I use that all the time to have references, because I think that we can both, there's such a communication gap in anything that you're talking about, and we could both be talking and think we know the same thing, but until we get that still in there that has the half light or whatever colors we're talking about, we won't really be as mesh. So I like to do that. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm taking you through the whole process.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. So. Some cinematographers they will use movie references. They'll they'll say, um, "I want it to be like the scene of Leo walking down the stairs in Inception at the very beginning," or "I want it to be mm-hmm. um, where you know Mr. Fox starts swearing at Mr. Badger and fantastic Mr. Fox to get back to Wes Anderson." Mm-hmm. Or I want it to be a walk and talk a la West Wing. So we have to kind of blur out the lights and get at this hyper um, mystical reality feeling. And then others will use paintings. They'll use classical paintings. They'll use modern artwork. Um, mm. they'll, others will use just like drawings that they find. Uh, maybe they'll do a deep dive into deviant art. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, where do you, I mean, is it just shot deck or do you also kind of go into, because you studied theory too. Is this something where you will research paintings or, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the first film that uses uh, an, uh, all shot inspirations out of memes but until (laughs) we get to that point is there Uh, a place that you kind of go to for your references other than obviously shot deck which if you don't use shot deck and you're interested in cinematography um just to scroll through shot deck is like a like better than than half the things i've tried to do to learn cinematography it's so good but you know what else do you use if anything
1: yeah, I definitely, as someone who's younger and coming up, I think that I need to do a lot more uh, looking into older photography as references and paintings. I like to go to museums a lot for inspiration, just to keep things in the back of my mind. But I really, I'm in the age of Instagram, so I mean, <laughs> I follow tons of, right. I really use Instagram as a way of exploring what other people are shooting and what el- what else is out there and there's so much out there if you just follow all the tags and all the all the accounts and people. Right. So I really use that as a big inspiration and even just it's really helpful because a lot of people will have their their images, their stills and then they'll have the lighting diagram and how they achieved that. So I think that's a really good way to learn things. So I use I honestly use that as a lot of reference, but I I want to be able to kind of research more older uh photography and I have a lot of photography books that I'll go through every once in a while. So really anywhere. Yeah. But I think in with how I came up more in the modern age, it's uh, Instagram is a big one.
0: Sure. And I
1: really I want to steal your idea and use memes now as a reference. <laughs> I think I'm going to try and make that happen at some point.
0: <laughs> That's I've I really wanted to do just a scene where it should be like heavy and emotional but then eventually someone realizes that I framed it all off the like the loss meme of the like four panels that oh my and then it's yes. people are gonna get very angry uh, and now that I've said it on this everyone's gonna know <laughs> to look for it so now I'm not gonna do it ha <laughs> um anyway <laughs> you talked <clears throat> about lighting diagrams and that is something that like lighting is still something that I am am not very good at. And I think that there's sometimes moments where we just have to accept that things aren't our forte. Um I will never be a composer, (laughs) no matter how badly I want to be. It's just never gonna happen. Uh so maybe I'll just never be an expert in lighting. But approaching lighting as a cinematographer, because that so heavily impacts your shots and your framing and the colors that you're getting and if it's a low angle versus a, a high angle shot versus a, if it's straight on with the eyes or a shoulder shot. I mean, so much goes into thinking about the lights. How do you approach lighting? And let's, let's break this into two parts, right? On like an indie shoot where, you know, maybe you just have a day to get everything. Versus like a a corporate shoot where maybe you still have a day to get everything, but maybe there's more money, but also more pressure. I mean, how how does your approach differ from project to project to get the lighting that you want?
1: Yeah, a lot of the corporate shoots or the corporate world uh, is having as many references as you can doing test shoots. Maybe even Um, you're going to probably want to do that for the indie world, but you might not have as much of a budget or time. But it is really having as much references as you can because, I mean, that's your client and they want it to look exactly how they want it to look. So you, you got to nail that. Um, for the indie world, it is a lot of using the resources that you have. You're, you're still going to want to work with your director to try and get what they want. But a lot of it is going to be, okay, we're shooting three to four scenes this day in one day. Uh, in two to three locations, so we're really going to have one hour to set everything up. We're going to really want to work with what we have there, and a lot of that is making sure you're timing the shoot well. If you want to shoot something during golden hour, that's great, but you mm. really need to time that out well and, and take advantage of what resources that you do have.
0: And if there's anything I know about indie shoots, it's that everybody wants to shoot during golden hour.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. For my my day job, it's it's I'm lucky to have a nine-to-five thing uh, in nonprofit philanthropy. Um, but a lot of times I'm suggesting, okay, well, why don't we shoot this at sunset? I'll just stay late. And everyone's like, oh, we want to wrap by five. We don't want to. I mean, they have right. families and kids. <laughs> they don't want to stay. And I'm like, oh, I just want to shoot this scene at sunset. So that's definitely a struggle. But...
0: Just green screen it. It'll be fine. There you go. Uh, so someone's listening to this and they want to get into cinematography. They're going to buy you know, the the DSLR that I mentioned earlier, which, by the way, is a great starter camera if you don't have a lot of money because film equipment is so expensive. Mm-hmm. It's so expensive. You'll be like, oh, what lights can I get on a budget? And they'll be like, great budget lights. Here's one for just $500. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't think you know what budget means. <laughs> um, if If someone was going to buy like a cheap DSLR, like a $200 camera – and they had, let's say, $50 left over. And, and they were going to get one thing, one piece of equipment that is going to help them with learning cinematography and getting better. What would you argue that one piece of equipment should be? What would you recommend? I'm asking this for a friend, and that friend is me. Uh, <laughs> what would that piece of equipment be?
1: Do What do they have already, I guess? Is the question?
0: That's a that's a good question. So let's say that they have um, some nice warm toned lamps that they can use for lighting. Now they're not film lamps, but they can work in a pinch. Uh, for sure, they're yeah. They're better practicals. than not having any lighting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that they have they've done some research and they know about say a negative fill, which can help darken <laughs> a, a shot if you're trying to get something, mm-hmm. and and they know about. Diffusers, So maybe they got a cheap shower curtain uh, (laughs) or something like that. But, you know, maybe they want to amp that up. So maybe the answer is get a better diffuser than that. (laughs) But let's let's they have the most basic stuff that's just around the house.
1: I would say if you're not going to use that money to rent equipment, I'm always a huge fan of renting and not buying things and renting per project. Because you're going to be able to work with those people. And you're going to build relationships with those people locally. That's what I would would suggest first. Um, In terms of $50, definitely if you don't have a 5-in-1 reflector, get one of those. Which is, it has diffusion in it, it has a bounce side, it has the silver side, the gold side, and the black side. So that really helps. Uh, I did a shoot once where we just went out at golden hour and we had that thing and we were just shaping it. To, to create different different versions of light, and it looked really cool for what what we were given. Um, so that would be a go- good one, or buy a fog machine and get fog for it so you can really fog a room and make it look good.
0: Yeah. Why would someone want to fog a room?
1: Uh, fogging a room, a lot of things that you watch on Netflix or wherever, it has probably been hazed. It's the... Industry standard is called a haze machine or a hazer. Um, but for someone like us, who we don't have the best, the most budget right now, a lot of people will just pick up a fog machine and fill a room with fog. Um, and then it's just this light, dense thing that you don't really think of it being there, but it catches light and it really brings the light up in a room. Or if you're shining, uh just... A light through a room it really it illuminates that basically to where you can see the shaft coming through it's like sunlight in, in reality you wouldn't see that but on camera it looks really good um, so it, it just is a nice way of diffusing light and bringing it up and it, it looks really pretty
0: you just touched on something that uh, is is rather clever in film uh, which is a lot of the times we want film to reflect life and yet so much of making films is about enhancing life and creating things that you wouldn't see in life. Uh, for example, a beam of light shooting through a window that we wouldn't see in life, but we expect to see in film. Uh, and, you know, you talked about hazing, which I think is is great when it's done right. I've also seen it where someone that didn't know what they were doing mm-hmm. with haze, it just, I'm like, what's happening in this room? Is something <laughs> yeah. on fire? Uh, but... Um, we actually, we had purchased their six, what was it? I think six cans of haze for like 50 or 60 bucks. Um, which, you know, a, a professional grade hazer is a couple thousand. Um, and this was, you know, it got us through a whole feature film shoot and you just literally, it's like a spray, it's like spray paint. You just spray oh, the yeah. haze, which was great. Um, but so much of film is about enhancing life and creating things that you wouldn't actually see. Uh, so what's your approach to that sort of hyper, um, surrealism, I guess. So maybe not hyper surrealism, but taking reality and then taking it up a notch. Do you prefer to dwell more in that world of let's keep it as real as possible? Or do you like adding the little touches of like, Oh, we'll add a lens flare here. Cause that can risk reminding the audience that they're watching something, but also sometimes it's just what's right. So what do you have a preference between those?
1: My first answer is it's always based on what the director wants. So, it, mm. I mean, I don't have a preference necessarily. It's what they what they like to see. Um, but I do tend... I was just having a conversation uh, about this with my mentor, and we were really kind of not duking it out, but we were going for it. Um, to the viewer, they... They don't notice that thing when I watch movies with my girlfriend or my friends or whatever, my family, I'm like, okay, they're they're having a conversation where they're staring at each other but they're both backlit by the sun. This doesn't make sense. But people don't notice that. They don't notice <laughs> that there's a blue moon. Right.
0: But I'm tortured by it. Yes,
1: yes. Uh but like I really started out thinking I want it to be authentic and be real. But the more that I realize people don't notice that the blue moonlight is, does not make sense, Um, but it looks really pretty.
0: (laughs) The moonlight's not blue, but it's what we make it look like in movies. Uh, Right.
1: So I am more and more a fan of just making it look pretty. And if it's, you know, like the moon is not as bright as those like Riverdale TV shows make it, make it seem, (laughs) but you don't think of that as a viewer so i'm more a fan right. of just making it look pretty uh and cheating cheating your way to the top
0: boy you just used so many really excellent examples and as as several people have said before uh if people are starting to notice that you already lost them mm-hmm. so you know you might as well lose them again yeah um Two other questions for you before we wrap up that I'm really intrigued by your answers. And the first you've already kind of touched on. Film in general is a very male world. Um, But in particular, when you're coming into cameras specifically, it is a very male-dominated world area of the industry. And I have been very, very lucky in my career to have worked with several female DPs and camera ops, um, who have been incredible. And so I am always like, yes, please let's have this happen. Let's keep going with this. Um, but as a result, I've also witnessed, um, the inherent misogyny of, uh, people who have dominated that industry since it existed feeling like they know better what has your experience been like within that? Because you obviously know what you're doing and, uh, I could easily see you just like smacking down (laughs) a guy that's like, "Eh, she shouldn't be doing that. But what is your experience like within that? What's it like to be, um, someone at your level of skill that's stepping in and, and walking into a very male dominated area of the industry? That's the
1: big question. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think that there's definitely i mean there's a gap for sure i think it's a really it's a societal problem in how we mm-hmm. women are raised to be the people that men do things for um so i think it i recognize that it's not just like the people in the industry because a lot of people in the industry are really awesome people that i've had the pleasure of working True. with and they really want to help you out so I think it's it's definitely a societal problem where how, how um, boys in the classroom are told to move the, the desks, uh, whereas women are just told hmm. to sit back and watch them do it. Um, but in my experience in the industry, I also definitely notice that there are people who are really into the tech side of things and there are people who not who are not. So a lot of it is just working with people if you don't know something, I think that there's a there's a lot of pressure if you don't know something to fake it and, and make it seem like you do. And I think that is a very toxic trait. Uh, not saying that it's hmm. a guy thing. I think it's a human thing. But I think there's a lot of, like, people are afraid to step back and ask questions if they don't know something. So, I mean, I've asked a lot of questions to get to where I'm at and to learn things. I still have a lot more questions and a lot more things to learn. But... I think it can be very intimidating walking in those rooms, especially if e- they're mostly men and you're not a man. Um, right. So I think the important thing is to not be intimidated, have the things that you that motivate you. It's it, it does get discouraging, but seeing people like Rachel Morrison and Natasha Breyer and all the women who are DPs and behind the set, uh, I think that definitely motivates me when I get discouraged. So having those things. Um, but... The most important thing is that when we're working on sets, we're working with other people and it's really hard to work with humans if, if mm-hmm. you're not aware of your own things you have going on with your mental health or whatever else is going on. So I think learning how to work with others in a group project is a really important thing too.
0: That was such <laughs> a good answer. Wow. Wow. I mean you I feel yeah. like I
1: vomited that
0: <laughs> something you said there that's like so true but so easily forgotten. You're working with other humans and you're human too. And yeah, I mean just that concept is like really important and easy to forget. I think especially in our social media age, um, it's really easy to forget that people are people. And of course that doesn't excuse um certain behaviors and things that are said or done. But does it also elevates a degree of empathy and of understanding. And, you know, as you said, there's you walk into a room and it's mostly guys, which is the case on most film sets. You walk in and it's kind of dominated there. Um, but you know, and, and it is unfortunate that at least in my experience and maybe yours has been different and I applaud it if it has. Um, those voices are generally elevated and, and made louder. Uh, over the women that are in the Mm -hmm. room. But I just think it's very exciting to me to see someone like you that um, is up and coming and very, very good and is working with high-level cameras and creating high-level content. uh, And you just don't seem like someone that is all that interested in pulling your punches. Uh, And not in a mean way. It's not like you're going to be rude to somebody, but you're just very this is who I am and this is what I do. And you should probably accept that.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: (laughs) Which I think is very admirable. I just think it's, it's good. Cause that's not an easy thing to do for anyone, but especially when you're kind of in the minority in a space. Um, not that I'm ever that because I'm, you know, like a straight white dude, (laughs) like I'm sort of the it, uh, as far as most spaces. So I think it's really, really cool that you do that and that you own it. Um, And I I just love the humanity of your answer on that. I think that was really, really in-depth. I don't know. Let's let's end on this because I'm intrigued by this. Having seen your work and heard you talk about, you know, the people that you've worked with and the people that you've talked with, uh, who do you think are, like, influences on your work? Who do you kind of try to model yourself after? And, of course, none of us want to just be the second coming of... I mean, except for Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't mind being mm-hmm. the second coming of Roger Deakins. But,
1: uh, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> but mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes I, I like haven't fully studied his resume all the time, so sometimes <laughs> I'll watch a movie and I'll be like, this is so beautiful, who shot this? And I'll be like, of course it was Roger Deakins. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you don't know who Roger Deakins is, look him up and you'll see at least three movies that you love uh, on the list of things that he has shot. Uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. who do you think are like you know, maybe two or three of the biggest influences on your work.
1: Oh, goodness. Well, I mentioned Natasha Breyer earlier. I really love her work for the humanity that it brings out. She shot Honey Boy Mm -hmm. um, recently, which was really cool. And she shot The Neon Demon. So those are two very different things. So just the way that she talks about her cinematography and the way I think she really gives back in the sense that she wants to teach the people who are up and coming. Um, I really like the way that she films things and does color. She's kind of considered the color master because she really knows how you know light is gonna look different when, it's, when you look at it in person and when it comes up on camera. And she really has studied that and is really talented there. Um, so I really appreciate her work there. Uh, not a cinematographer, but I love Greta Gerwig. I was hoping I, you'd mention her. Oh, my God. So good. I'm obsessed with her.
0: So uh, good. I just watched the featurette on YouTube of behind the scenes of Lady Bird. And just the sequence of, uh, oh, my gosh, what's his name? Lucas Hedges. And uh, I'm always going to butcher her name. Saoirse?
1: Saoirse, I think Sersha.
0: Saoirse. Ronan just running around the garden and Greta Gerwig would be like, go left, <laughs> go right, yes. fall on the ground. Like <laughs> as an actor, that's so freeing and it was fun to watch. But yes, anyway, sorry, you were talking. Greta Gerwig. No, amazing. no, I
1: love I love talking about that. She, She's an actor, so she knows how to work with actors very well. But it's, it's like you said, the, the process, I think that she has such a, she's in touch with humanity in a way that like I am just so floored by when I watch her stuff. So it's very, like, I feel this, I sound so pretentious right now, but I feel so, like, connected to the human condition when I watch her things. And so that's what I just want to be able to make. I want to make content like that and work with someone who has that eye. Uh, And along those lines, one other person is Agnes Varda, who was a French filmmaker and the way that she sees things and has created things is such a really, really cool perspective. And I think it's very inspiring. So I try and find and make content that has that effect and that feeling. um, And they inspire me so much.
0: I think that's brilliant. And I've even seen it, I think in, in some of the corporate stuff, particularly on your demo reel, I was kind of floored by you found human moments, which is hard to do in corporate work. But I'm thinking, particularly the part of your demo reel where there was like a there was a dog, and it was in like an apartment, um, which I assume was corporate. I guess maybe that was a short film, but uh, I don't know. Just your corporate stuff is very personal and intimate and human, and it, it feels more like a glimpse into the life of an employee or of someone that's making this business run, which I'm assuming is what the client either wanted or learned they wanted through your work.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's figuring it out as we go, but yeah, that's always the goal is to try and get the emotion out of it and not have it be as dry. And I think a lot of corporate places now are realizing that they want to appeal to viewers' emotions and they want more cinematic video content, which is exciting for people like us who are who are coming up into the world. So right. really cool.
0: I think that's just about going to do it for us. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to talk with you. I really enjoy your work. I cannot wait to see what's ahead for you. I think you have a very, very long career.
1: Thank you so much. Oh, that means so much. Well,
0: thank you for being on. It's It really has been a pleasure, uh, and I'm excited for all that. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sydney Lawson. You can find her on social media and see her work, and you should see her work. It's worth seeing. That was eloquent. (laughs) We'll see you on for the next episode. Thank you for listening.